0: on Podcast Network.
1: And welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast hosted by a couple of your favorite people in Philadelphia. I'm here, I'm Sam, by the way, I'm here with my (laughs) co hosts, Connor, Dave, and Christine. And we are continuing our theme of movies we dragged our parents to. And boy, oh boy, am I excited to talk about this movie. Oh, this movie and I, we have a long, Unfortunately, long history. But before we get deep, deep into that, how are you, my friends? Have you seen anything good lately?
0: I watched a movie that <clears throat> I was anticipating for quite a while um, in Kanto, the latest like Disney, not Pixar animated release. And I think I'm gonna—I don't know—I thought it was like just all right. Like it just really didn't click with me, Dave. I saw you gave it two and a half stars on Letterbox. I think that about sums up where I would put it.
2: Yeah, it's, it's got some great numbers and some, some interesting, some really great animation and some cool storytelling, but I feel as though uh, the narrative, I don't know, it felt, uh, it, something just flew over my head, I guess, for me.
0: I think it just hit a lot of tropes and let everybody off too easy for being absolutely horrible to the main character. Like, in her family. Like, mm. there is absolutely no way that only Abuela needs to be absolved of her sins. Like, everybody in this community has treated her terrible. I don't know. I, I thought it was all right. Um, the music is stuck in my head still. So, that's something, you know. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda knows how to write a banger. So, definitely, like, I don't know. I was like, okay. That was, that was all right. Solid, like, two and a half stars.
2: Yeah, same. I'd watched that one over the holidays and felt that it was... Um... You know, it was interesting, but it really kind of didn't resonate with me as much as uh, something like, say, Luca did from, from the past year. So, interesting movie, though. Would would recommend checking it out. Uh, I guess, speaking of things I would recommend checking out, to anybody listening, please, please go see Everything Everywhere All at Once, that film, a uh, film by Daniels, which is a directorial team uh, starring Michelle Yeoh, among others, and... I I think it's the best movie I've seen in years. Like I think uh, being in a movie theater and like being, I, I was lucky enough to see it around the time of its release. So I was in a big room with a big crowd and it just felt so like weirdly and like shockingly communal that everyone could be so open to and vulnerable to this piece because it's, it's simultaneously hysterical and also completely like heart wrenching and, and, deeply profound and meaningful and uh, uh, just some of the most exciting like movie making I've seen in a very long time like you just feel the entire time as though it's like it's just jostling you in so many directions that all are so balanced and introduces so many things that it sees through to completion in so many smart and clever and interwoven ways that like it it just feels like a an amazing theater experience like it's it's the kind of movie I live for so I would say uh, absolutely go see it i think it's perfect And the best movie I've seen probably since Fury Road. Uh, So, uh, again, if you have the opportunity to see it in a crowded theater, do it. It's a communal and social experience that you'll be happy you engaged in because you'll laugh and you'll cry and you won't feel self-conscious about either. Uh, Especially as someone who in a movie theater often does. Like, it didn't matter because everyone was on the same page in taking in this experience. So, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, 10 out of 10. Go check it out.
3: Wow. Did you like Swiss Army, man?
2: I still haven't seen that. Uh, I, well, I feel oh. as though it's something I like a little bit less. I think it's a little bit more dedicated to. It's like, without spoiling anything about this movie, like cruder humor, quote unquote. Yeah, uh, I mean, but, it's
3: fucking farting Daniel Radcliffe. Right, at, as a corpse, To propel yeah. himself across, or no, propel Paul Dano across the water. But yeah, it's... It, That movie just shoots for the moon in the most bizarre but, like, fascinating ways. And so, yeah, I think that you should see it. Like, I don't think it'll be as profound as what I understand. Everything, all everywhere, all at once is. Because I'm excited to see it. But you should check out Cesar Mania. Because it's pretty funny. (laughs)
2: I'll probably give it a spin, yeah. Yeah.
0: I also saw everything everywhere all at once. What what is time? I thought I talked about it last time, but no, I did not. Yeah, I think agree with everything Dave said. Um, it feels like the ultimate movie for the letterboxed audience. Like for people who use letterboxed, it is like made for them. Um, I say that in the most like loving way possible. They even have like a promotion where if like you like the movie on letterbox, like the little googly eye appears instead, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cute. But yeah, that was pretty amazing. And I actually Alyssa and I turned off Swiss Army Man halfway through a rare move. Um, but it just really did not click with me.
3: I mean, like, I think I've heard the argument, like, what is the point of this movie? And it really doesn't have a point, uh, but it's like a visual spectacle. It's weird. It, I, I, I was pretty charmed by it. Cause I was like, this movie doesn't really have a reason to exist, but like, does a movie always need a reason to exist? Yeah. I thought it was playful and like crude and like pretty on ways. Um, it's like if Michelle Gondry just like wanted to make fart and poop jokes, like the whole movie and like, didn't take itself as seriously as like a Michelle Gondry movie. Um, I don't have any movies to report. I have a really, um, big confession. Well, not a confession to make, but an embarrassing story about how I accidentally paid for two months of TV trying to get a free subscription to watch the Oscars. (laughs) Oh, no. So I went, I typed into Google. No. Don't do this. I, it was the night of the Oscars and I don't have TV. And this happens to me every year. And I'm such a sucker because I always want to watch the Oscars. Every year I fucking type into Google, free TV trial. (laughs) Go. (laughs) And what Google gave me this year was this website called... And you guys are gonna think I'm such an idiot. It's called VidGo. And VidGo <laughs> was advertising free trials. So of course I put in my information, I give my fucking credit card. And thinking that I was gonna get a, a free trial. And it like it worked. I watched the Oscars, and then the next day I looked at my bank account and I was charged. So I called VidGo. They are the jankiest operation. This dude <laughs> was like, oh, I see your purchase, but oh, we we just stopped our free trials two days ago. So the Sunday, the Oscars, they had stopped their free trials that Friday. And I was like, I don't want to be charged for this. I don't watch TV. I have no use for two months of TV. And he's like, oh, well, I can't pull up my the system that like lets me change your account. Can you call me back in an hour? <laughs> I was like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> and so I had two days of back and forth with Vidgo. Vidgo did not ever refund the money. So now I've been watching TV, but the only, ch- I get the stupidest channels. It's like for like people that want to watch like hockey and like soccer and then there's the <laughs> food network and then there's like mtv late night and so I, so i've been watching a lot of food network and that's a long story to say i haven't watched anything good except for triple d and chopped <laughs> end of story so guys don't <laughs> use vidgo not that anyone like would ever, but i'm a fucking idiot so what a depressing story <laughs> Yo, that's my life right now. <laughs> oh, man.
1: This episode,
2: go to vidgo.com and enter promo code MISTAKE for a discount.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, not a mistake for me. I've been watching Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. It is I phenomenal. I love it. Oscar Isaac uh, finally gets redemption uh, <laughs> as a superhero. We're forgetting about apocalypse that never happened. Oh. And now he's got a, a really wonderful character that I think that he's just really knocking it out of the park. Ethan Hawke is doing a fantastic job. Uh the show is just really great. I'm totally obsessed. Uh, I didn't really know much about Moon Knight before the show, so I kind of went in blind. And uh, I like it so much that I started reading the comics because it, like, I love this fucking character so much. And I would recommend it if you are a Marvel fan, even if you're not. I think it's a, it's a little bit different than some of the other shows and movies. But moving on from Moon Knight, you can't have. Uh, moon Night without moonlights. And you can't have moonlight without something before it. You can't have it without Twilight. And so Twilight is going to be uh, my pick for movies we dragged our parents to. So I texted my mom and I was like, hey, like, do you know what movie that I dragged you to that you like, hated? <laughs> she she was like can I have a minute to think about this because there's so many first of all mom rude second of all uh you're not wrong um so I was a big Twilight fan I loved the books I think I jumped into the fandom like when it was just Twilight and New Moon. So I was there for the release of Eclipse and Breaking Dawn. And then I went to almost all of the midnight showings of the movies. I think by the time Breaking Dawn 2 came out, I was like sort of over everything. It it could even be the first Breaking Dawn, but I definitely grew up and was like, this fucking sucks and saw Breaking Dawn 2 a couple years ago, way, way after it came out, but suffice to say, I have a long history with this movie. Um, really complicated feelings, but it still has like a like a warm spot in my heart. Um, I was definitely an Edward girly for a little bit, then decided, you know what? Emmett is a little bit more my speed. So, Twilight came out in 2008, directed by Catherine Hardwick, and, of course, is based upon the, the novel and the series by Stephanie Meyer. Uh, you know this movie. I don't want to go into so me- much detail. Uh, you know it. We love it. I'm so excited to talk about it. I would love to know, Dave, was this, so this was your first time watching it. Anyone else's first time watching it?
0: This was uh, absolutely not my first time watching it. Uh, but I am relatively new to the Twilight fandom. So, for years growing up um, as a boy, I'm like, I don't like Twilight. So, stupid, why are all these girls reading these enormous books about sparkly vampires, bad movies, et cetera? You know, just really didn't ever pay much thought to it. Then we were down the shore. This was January of 2020. I think it was January, 2020. Oh no, January, 2021. And it was a rainy day. And so like, all right, you know, one of us was like, Well, do we just put twilight on? It's like, all right, fine. I've never seen it. It's probably like a bad watch. And I got absolutely sucked in to the world of twilight. We watched all of the movies in a marathon that day. Cause it was rainy. We couldn't go anywhere. And so um watched all the movies in one day and I was hooked ever since. And I've probably seen all of them at least twice, maybe three times. So I am definitely a Twilight movie convert for many reasons, partially ironic, uh, but there are some good moments and some really funny bad moments. It's a complicated series that I have complicated feelings on, but this this is one of the movies that is like why we started a movie podcast, like talk about films like Twilight, why we come together every week to talk about movies.
3: That's crazy. You must have watched them all around the same time I did, because I had never seen any of them. I hadn't read the books. And then it was 2021, I think March or late February, early March of 2021. And in one fell swoop was my introduction. And I have been never the same since.
0: I think that's I a great great way to describe it. Just never the same. This, these movies fundamentally change you to your core. Yeah, you're just never the same.
2: So this is, yeah, I, uh, what you're describing is, is shockingly accurate. Um, I had seen a little bit of the third one, Eclipse, in theaters because I, it was when I started working in a the theater in 2010, happened to like catch some of you some of it because of the commute and getting there early with like a fistful of free popcorn and a courtesy cup of soda and just watching like 30 minutes of whatever movie. So I definitely saw portions of that one. But outside of this, went into it very cold. Uh, I don't have any familiarity with the books. Uh, Really didn't know the trajectory of the story beyond that there was a pitted rivalry uh, for Bella's affection between uh, Edward and Jacob. So all fresh material. And if Sam had told me in 2018 when we started the show that this would be one of the episodes I was most excited to record. I would have dropped dead on the spot, but, uh, I watched it and, uh, watched, you know, the first one, the one we'll be discussing. And then it lingered in my mind for like two days. And then, uh, two days later, when my weekend rolled around, I decided to watch the second one, which led immediately into watching the third one. And then the next day watching both parts of the fourth one. So I've seen it all. And, uh, I, 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 as I said in our text chain, I I no longer know or trust myself emotionally as a person anymore because I don't think these movies are uh, good. Uh, I think they range from not good to bad. No offense to anyone who really likes them, but I love them. It just casts this kind of spell and just is so enticing and engrossing and, and that you just sort of tumble into it with the momentum that it creates and... Yeah, I I kind of love Twilight. <laughs> Doesn't it feel weird to say that? It it turns out uh, at 34 years old, this is this is finally my Twilight phase.
1: <laughs> you know, it's definitely a movie that has aged unbelievably. Not well, not bad, just in a way I can't describe. And um honestly, so uh Listeners, Dave was texting the Butter with That group chat, uh, like just reactions of every I love movie. Stuff. I have never been so entertained in my life. I was living for every single one. I was like sharing it with my roommates because I, I was so excited that you were watching these movies. I also couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that you like enjoyed Twilight.
2: But it, I can't it, believe it either. Really. I know.
1: It does make, so, like, a weird kind of sense to me, though, just because I th- the first one is an absolute train wreck in the best way possible.
2: I think I would... I walked away thinking, ultimately, that the first one was maybe my favorite, if it, and but probably not the best. I think it kind of finds its feet in the third one. Uh, mm-hmm. But just what a... And, like, what a, like... I mean, as the series goes on, I, I do think that the actors really fulfill their roles and fill them out and explore them as better actors. That enriches character. But of all of them, this is the one that is like, a, this is kind of a director's movie. Like, I, I walk away thinking about Catherine Hardwick's direction and and vision for this movie because it is so startlingly and strangely unique. Like, a lot of the choices I think are, not great but they're so interesting and and then the rest of the series is so by contrast consistent so this one kind of walked away as a standout for me because it is so it's such an insane introduction that you can't help but wonder what's going to come next after it <laughs>
1: Oh god, right? Like from the blue hue that's over the entire movie,
2: including not only the Pacific Northwest but also the opening establishing shots of Arizona. <laughs> like.
1: To the point where like some of the actors it, it they almost fade into the background because they're so white. <laughs> and like there's also like scenes where I think It's when the Cullens are first entering the the cafeteria. They're all in white clothes except for Edward. I swear to God they disappear. And I don't know if like that was the purpose,
3: but like (laughs) Jesus Christ. That introduction in the cafeteria is one of my favorite moments when Bella's like with her new crew and like she keeps turning over and like two by two they walk in. And then of course, Edward is the last one to come in. You're totally right, Sam, all in white. Like, almost this weird, I don't know, glow about it.
2: As the, if they are the mist itself. It's,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, wow. And, it, like, part of me is, like, certainly the movie frames it in this way to make a big deal about her first introduction to the Collins, being like, who are these intriguing... Who is this intriguing group of people? But I like to imagine... They walk in like that every day. And, like, the rest of the cafeteria is just (laughs) used to the fucking Collins. Just, like, not saying a word, but just emerging slowly as a group into this communal space.
2: It's like what I think that the two main characters in um, Cruel Intentions think everyone thinks of them.
3: Oh, my God. (laughs) And everyone is so over it. They're like, yeah, they're just fucking weird. Which I guess her, her, like, first group of friends admits as much but oh yeah man. Anna
1: Kendrick as Jessica is like those are the Cullens like don't worry about them F- the way Christine you're so right the way that they enter is unfucking believable so first of all Emmett played by Kellen Lutz just comes in carrying a bag of hard-boiled eggs oh, yeah. I <laughs> don't understand it but it is one of my favorite fucking things. And then Alice, she walks in spinning. What? If for what reason? Unless she's small
3: and quirky. But that's their entrance. I think that they have choreographed a cafeteria entrance. And that's what just happens. If you are like 100 years old, at least, you probably have your choreography down pat. You know, it's like you sure. know exactly the way you want to enter. I mean, what? They've graduated from high school like 30 times or whatever. And yeah. they've had, me- like, according to the uh, fucking graduation cap wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's kind of a, what do you call it? An inside joke. <laughs> we've graduated, we've matriculated so many times. <laughs> yeah, they call it that- choreography down.
0: And I think it's this entrance scene that really is what sucked me into the movie because it's played so straight. This movie takes itself so goddamn seriously to the ultimate degree throughout the entire franchise. And I think there's something admirable about that vision of like, you're taking the source material about this teenage vampire romance book, and you're just like seeing it through. You're making a movie and it's serious. Like these are characters with serious feelings and they're feeling them, and the movie doesn't really take it too lightheartedly, at least in this first one.
2: That's so true. Like the cracks would show immediately if you didn't have that self seriousness to it. Yeah.
1: But at the same time, you have someone like Robert Pattinson, who the first time Edward smells Bella.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so much this. smelling in the series. <laughs>
1: Does this face that uh, when I rewatched it, I think I rewatched all the movies in like summer of 2020. I think that's like when people on TikTok were rewatching it and sort of it was like this Twilight revival when everyone's like, you know what? Yeah, these (laughs) movies are bad, but like, let's watch them and love them. And I thought to myself, no way that's real. There's no way that this was actually in the movie. I didn't even remember it like that. And then yet there it is. He just covers his mouth and is like clearly
3: disgusted. Could you imagine if you walked into a room and somebody did that? Oh, like she's standing in front of the fan and you're like, oh, the fr- oh this is cute they're framing her to like look like her hair is going to be windblown like the first time she and Edward make eye contact and it's like no her smell <laughs> is making it across the biology room to Edward's nose cut to Edward who has a hand over his mouth looks like he's about to vomit <laughs> even though you later realize it's like to suck her blood but like the, yeah, the look on his face of just sheer disgust is hilarious and yeah
0: i think it's the most emotion he shows in the whole movie (laughs) at least of like direct physical like so he's you know the vampires play things pretty cool generally but this is like out of the gate and it's that's held on for so long and sam i think what you brought up of tiktok and these movies coming back on netflix i think like the star wars prequels these movies are so memeable that they mm-hmm. kind of have taken on a second life with, you know, now that, I mean, the first one came out in 2008, which feels forever ago. And so I feel like now it's like these things have existed in the pop culture and all the scenes are just so memeable that that I think just adds to the allure of the series and just how, um, like, you pause it and you have a question about a scene. That's mm-hmm. kind of how it feels.
1: Yeah, I think, like, there was not... like a 10 minute span that I did not laugh out loud upon like my, (laughs) my last rewatch. Same. It's just, it's so enjoyable and just fucking funny. Connor. I do want to say, yes, I think that uh, that is one of the scenes that, uh, Edward shows the most emotion uh followed up by at the very end when Bella gets bit by uh James the the villain vampire and Bella's like screaming cuz the the vampire venom is turning her and <laughs> Edward is like
2: Carlisle,
1: is he's, he's so worried that she's going to get turned i can't fucking take it <laughs>
2: so it's also a whole thing like the audio commentary for this movie is like legendary because robert pattinson just shits on the entire thing mm-hmm. and like he's only in the past year i think come around and been like you know what i do remember those movies fondly but like there's this reputation that he was trying to like take them down from the inside at the, at the <laughs> beginning but yeah, like
3: he can't he he was I, you I, I can think tell that's he was making choices And they were hilariously bad choices, but he cannot say that was intentional bad acting to bring the franchise down.
2: I agree, especially because as it goes on, like by the end, I think everyone's acting improves a lot over the series. And I think it's probably at its weakest here at the onset, but, you know, it's evident that they kind of became at least for appearances sake invested in these characters beyond a certain point so i think that that attitude is was a fashionable like defense up until this resurgence and reassessment of the series to the point that he's kind of finally comfortably like yeah you know what those were kind of fun
3: my favorite scene is when he uh takes her up or when she first is like okay i know you're a vampire. And when he's like, are you
2: sure you want? Oh, right. I want to hear you
3: say it. And he's like, and then so finally she's like, vampire. And then he's like, all right, let's go on an adventure. And then he like shows her all of his powers. He's like, I constantly want to kill. I'm the enemy. I have strength. And he like is jumping from rock to rock and like screaming and then whispering and scream and then throw. As if you can outrun me. It's, (laughs) it's choices that are clearly (laughs) intentional and no accident. And I think he cannot separate himself from those choices. We all mature as beings or as, you know, people trying to strive for whatever. And as an actor, (laughs) he definitely has changed.
0: Well, I I think it seems like that, uh, that I think, Made it so popular. I mean, the, the Twilight franchise is a multi-billion dollar franchise that has pretty much disappeared off the face of the earth. Just kind of hard to believe. I have a few box office numbers here that I just wanted to read real quick. So this movie, Twilight had a budget of $37 million, uh, filmed for 44 days, gross domestic box office of 192 million worldwide box office of 402 million. So, and plus, add another 200 million in DVD and Blu ray sales. This movie was incredibly profitable all around the world. And at the end of the day, it grossed $1.3 billion domestically, the whole franchise, and $3.3 billion, the whole franchise grossed globally. So these movies were speaking to many, many people back when they came out. And they're still speaking to us today. Like, there's a reason why all four of us are so excited to talk about this movie in 2020, which is kind of wild.
2: 2022? 2022 you're right i don't i have no idea what time it is or no what it's, it's still it's still 2020 it's a mess
1: yeah there is a special kind of magic something that i really love about this movie is some of the smaller moments that just if you think too much about them make absolutely no sense or once you notice it you can't unnotice it so the movie opens up with bella um moving from Phoenix to Forks, Washington, and, like, for some reason has, like, this tiny little shovel and is digging up a piece of a cactus, Uh, who knows, into, like, a tiny little planter. She takes that fucking cactus with her onto the plane. She sits in her dad's squad car and... I don't know why this is bothering me so much, but she's getting out of the car and the cactus is like resting on her chest. That's not how a cactus acts. That's not how it works. my God. And then uh, her and her dad, Charlie, are in this diner. She picks up a bottle of ketchup and she's supposed to be putting ketchup on her fries. Nothing is coming out. And she's just like limp wrist shaking it. I just... I don't understand it.
3: And I'm so glad that I don't. Along the lines of details that you can not unnotice once you've noticed it. When we, long time ago, not too long ago, but in the Christmas season, talked about uh, the spirit of Christmas and <laughs> how, what's his face, is always eating eating, mm-hmm. and, or biting into an apple. I was like, it feels like Bella there's always an apple around. She's either holding an apple or dropping an apple that Edward then scoops up with his foot or something, like a hacky sack. And I was like, there's some apple motif in here that, that I was, that I caught on to after watching Spirit of Christmas. So now that's like something I look out for.
1: It's because the cover of the first book is- Oh,
3: it has an apple. Yeah. Oh. Forbidden fruit.
1: I was going to
2: say, uh, and Adam and Eve, it is a very uh, Mormon yeah, book, in a way. A
3: nice uh, Mormon allegory. Damn. you know, Too bad it's not in the Spirit of Christmas universe, though. That's my true fan theory.
1: I mean, who knows? Werewolves and vampires exist. Why not ghosts that come around for 13 days? Well, anyway, uh, I'd like to think that they're in the same universe.
0: I want to give a little bit of love to the Cullen family. We talked about them a little bit, but that this is a wild dynamic that they have going on here where they're they travel from town to town basically every what five years or so and people start catching on that these high schoolers are not growing up and they're all dating each other but they're all like they're covers of their covers that they're foster siblings who date each other and nobody really seems to question this in the movie like anna kendrick brings anna, it up
3: anna, anna kendrick is the voice of reason, I will argue, in this movie, people hate her character, but I fucking love Anna Kendrick from episode one all the way through. Jessica sucks in the book, she really does. Well, I mean, I would argue she's probably not the character people root for, anyways, but I think I generally love Anna Kendrick pretty much in everything she's in. Uh, anyhow, she she is uh she brings it up.
0: I don't think she, but she brings it up, but doesn't condemn them. That's so creepy. Imagine like six high schoolers that are foster siblings dating each other, all dressing in white, coming in with their bags of deviled eggs and spinning around. This is just so bizarre.
3: You know, let let the Collins do what they want. Right.
0: And I do love how they want to uh, cook for Bella to try to like, have like a normal. This is later on in the movie when she comes to the house. Uh, They try to cook. And I think that's a very funny scene. And I generally enjoy the Cullens dynamic. Even Jasper, who's played by Jackson Rathbone of Avatar fame. He's like this whole family is just wild.
1: I adore the Cullens. I love them so much. And uh, Emmett like I said before is my favorite and Connor and that scene you're talking about when they're making her food, they're making her Italian food. The, the, the question of like, does she even like Italian? And he's like, duh, her name is Bella. Like, I love this man. <laughs> I love Emmett Cullen forever. Um, But something that is so interesting is that, you know, they're all so different people and such different vampires and they all have their own special, unique power and skill. I think the only one who we like never really know about is Esme. And I think like in the books, if I'm remembering correctly, it's just like incredible kindness, which is like, Stephanie, come on, man. Like, you're a woman. Like, want more for us. You know? Want more.
0: Oh, yeah. They never show her power. I never even thought of that.
1: And Rosalie's is like, good looks. So that's also like, it.
0: And being pro-life, which we learn later in the series. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Well, can you say that, though? Can you say that?
2: (laughs) I'm being mostly facetious. Mostly. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I think you could say that about some of the later work, but
1: <laughs> some of it um, do you guys have a favorite Cullen member of the Cullen family?
3: Carl, I'm Team Carlisle.
0: Hmm. Yeah, Carlisle's got all the answers. Oh, I don't know. I feel like he's got the answers. He keeps everyone composed. He has a great network of friends. Like he's somebody you want in your corner, not these rogue vampires killing these industrial workers and boat dock people. Um, he's a doctor, he's a learned man, and he's got a
2: lot of answers and a lot of resources. I think this may be a controversial answer. Um, I wasn't very invested in the Cullens as a, as a unit. I think they're very, like, X-Men-y in that they all have their own specific powers and that I, I think I would have preferred more unity as far as the vampirization. But that's not the way these books are written, that's not the way these movies play out. So it, it is what it is, but yeah, I, I I never really felt uh, all that immersed throughout the saga in the cullens individual stories or or characters that much. I was just sort of like stuck in the i guess like the more melodramatic uh underpinnings of the romantic story. so it, it kind of like it was it to me it was kind of like interesting set dressing, but I never really felt uh, all that engaged by it, to be honest,
1: totally fair. Um, you know, there are people who watch the movie and are definitely like pro werewolves and care nothing about the vampires. And you know what? That is just as valid. Any any opinion of the Twilight series <laughs> really honestly just works. I think, though, like the best character in the whole series is definitely Bella's dad because he just like absolutely like he cares about Bella. But then he's also like, I cannot handle any of this. So I'm just going to mind my own business, say some comments that are kind of funny and try to solve some crime. Um, So, you know, we've been talking a lot about specific parts of the movie, but, you know, in case you've lived under a rock for how many ever years. So Bella is a 17 year old girl. She moves to Forks, Washington, one of the Um, Rainiest places in the world. And that's for a reason uh, because the Cullens, the vampires, can't be in direct sunlight because their skin glitters like diamonds. And uh, she falls in love with Edward Cullen, who's a vampire, obviously. And uh, she's kind of going through the motions until (laughs) a baseball game and a. A trio of three like nomadic vampires who, um, actually drink human blood. The Cullens are vegetarians, as they say, and only drink animal blood. Um, one of the the trio is like a tracker, smells Bella, and is like always on, like Donkey Kong. So he tries to like chase her, and that's you know really kind of the, the the whole movie. That's it. That's that's really it.
3: What do you think about the plot? Like, is it good? I mean, the plot makes a lot of sense. It hits all the major beats of, like, high school dramedy, you know? Like, two people meet eyes across the cafeteria. They're like, I can't not look at you. You know, the vibe is there. Oh, but, like, the forbidden love. You know, I feel like those are, like, regular beats. And even the way... And then in the background, sinister things are happening that's ultimately going to come to a head in a climactic confrontation. So, like, the plot... It makes sense for, like, a teen drama with a little action. I think what makes this so unique, as Dave was laying out at the beginning of the episode, is all of the choices that are made scene to scene, where, like, characters react in ways that are so bonkers. And the movie is cut in a way like you have... Yeah, I, I guess I'm not really describing it well, only to say that the plot itself seems reasonable for this type of story. It's just what the characters end up doing within the regular scene beats that is just bizarre. It's like yeah,
2: pretty it's kind of like a, a little bit standard like young adult fare as far as the trajectory of the tropes and that kind of like uh young adult relationship in a lot of ways, uh in a lot of ways that I find uh, ultimately throughout the series to be a little bit questionable, but uh, but ultimately always interesting, um, especially because it's just you know it, it's taking a familiar like teenage melodrama and and, and filtering it through vampires and werewolves and <laughs> just this collision of like ideas and and allowing like a furtive creative ground for these tropes to like flourish in their own ways. Like I think it is an interesting story, uh, but I think that the characters are. Uh, perhaps strangely written, if I'm going to put it nicely. But that that ultimately makes it all the more interesting, like those, those choices. And also how bizarre some of the cinematography and like camera work is. The camera is really active in this movie. It's really moving around a lot. And we're really like soaring through this with them in a way that in almost any other movie would be like objectively distracting or like off-puttingly strange in its commitment to that vision. But because... It is such a melodramatic, like teen story that you're in like these, like sort of like uh, like pubescent throes of romance and everything. And like, I think this movie is also like very like pro abstinence, but also hypersexual at the same time, which we'll get to. But um, but the camera work kind of works in concert with that in a strange way. Like somehow all these disparate choices come together in things that would individually be wrong elsewhere into some sort of weirdly unified whole that doesn't make sense, but is engaging. It has a an
0: undeniable energy, the way the movie just flows. Yeah. Um, which is such like, it looks terrible. The acting is terrible. And yet this conflux of choices, I think partially adaptation, partially the cast, the direction, it's like, I feel like if this movie was made by any other kind of creative team, it would just not be interesting. But there's every turn, every scene is like something that you question or something that makes you laugh or a camera choice that just weirds you out. It's such a bizarre movie that in its bizarreness has a unique and I think pretty holistic vision.
3: So I looked at the screenwriter, who's Melissa Rosenberg. I don't know if she's the same screenwriter for the whole series. But as someone, I didn't read the books, so I don't have a frame of reference. But the dialogue is so bizarre. Sam, as someone who's familiar with the books, is a, are a lot of the lines extracted from the books? Or is this Melissa Rosenberg's own creation of just bizarre, monolog type of... moments and like sort of weird poetry I don't know yeah
1: are any of these lines in the book (laughs) um yes the thing is the books are from Bella's perspective so you have her inner monologue and I think that you definitely lose that in the movies which makes things so much stranger because you do have Bella's running commentary that's like kind of explaining a couple things that it makes a little bit more sense but when you don't have that and then people are seemingly doing these things (laughs) out of nowhere it's bizarre like I'm thinking about this one particular scene where Bella's like hanging out at her at her truck in the school parking lot and all the other kids are like near Tyler's van and Tyler just like fucking throws a Twizzler at her Uh, why but that happened in the book (laughs) but it's because like she's like sticking on her own and she's trying to make her own way and they're like come hang out with us while also making fun of her at the same time
2: the whole way she enters this, like, new environment, by the way, is crazy. It's like it's like the new girl gold rush in, like, this bizarre way. Like, all these dudes are trying to ask her to prom. It's like, she's, like, she's exotic in a way because she's from Arizona. And I think one of the first things that uh, Anna Kendrick's character says to her is, like, I thought everyone from Arizona was tan. And her response, I think, is something to the effect of, like, huh, guess that's why they kicked me out. Which is, like... <laughs> a very like Belle is a pretty funny character as far as the writing is concerned, whether or not Kristen Stewart brings that to life in in ways that are unironic is a question I have. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of strange um, just a lot of strange things that you have to sort of accept about this movie as it goes on
1: even in the books too, I'm thinking of something in particular. So there's this one moment where I think Bella's practically in a sack. So she's wearing like this khaki long skirt and like a brown sweater. And Edward sees her and is like, I find you irresistible. Like what the fuck, what the fuck, man, this book is, and this movie, they're just strange. So, yeah, this movie, strange. Now, I think we've talked a lot about Bella. We've talked a lot about the Cullens. But how can we forget the werewolves, particularly Jacob? Any strong feelings about Jacob Black?
0: What Not a terrible movie. movie yet. What a, what a terrible wig, too. He gets very little to do, and he's wearing a terrible wig.
3: But this movie, yeah, he has very little screen time in this movie. But his introduction is such that you're like, ooh, I want more of Jacob. Like, tell me more about Jacob. I want to know more about his family. And they all seem like awesome folks. And then over the course of the series, (laughs) you're like, Jacob, why didn't you have to turn? And Well, he basically ultimately vies for Edward's position as most controlling boyfriend ever. (laughs) And they combined become the two most controlling people in Bella's life ever. And you're like, Jacob, I, I had a whole other view and vision of you until your character is ruined.
2: There's a wonderful article that I would recommend checking out. It's from The Atlantic, and it's called At His Court, The Twilight Saga is a story about blank uh, because it does observe all the many different things that, uh, though contradictory, are all engaged in within this, this series and this franchise. It is no more specifically about the books, but it cites uh, an article in Psychology Today titled uh, Is Twilight Prejudiced? In which uh, Melissa Buckley points out that Edward and his extraordinary family are described as possessing impossibly impossible beauty characterized by pale white skin. Their skin sparkles in the sunlight. Their bodies are solid, perfectly carved and smooth like marble statues, which are white. Just as the Cullens exude purity and kindness, they're also strongly associated with whiteness. Uh, And then goes on to say that one should consider the juxtaposition between Edward and Jacob. Quote, whereas Edward has pure white skin, Jacob is Native American and therefore described as having dark features, copper skin, black hair and dark eyes. Not only does Jacob have dark skin, but his last name, Black, clearly associates him with darkness rather than light. Uh, so although Jacob does not necessarily represent badness or evil, he is described in a way that suggests he is more associated with dark than light, which I guess, you know, one could glean from the text, which, again, I've not read. I've only seen these movies. It does also make some interesting uh, points about <clears throat> what else the franchise and the uh, the series and these films could be about uh, when it Uh, dives into a discussion about the tenuous balance between advocating for abstinence and also being hypersexual at the same time. It cites a 2008 article from the Times by Lev Grossman, which says that, quote, what makes Meyers' books so distinctive is that they're about the erotics of abstinence. Their tension comes from prolonged, superhuman acts of self-restraint. There's a scene midway through Twilight in which, for the first time, Edward leans in close and sniffs the aromas of Bella's exposed neck. Uh, This from the book, quote, just because I'm resisting the wine doesn't mean I can't appreciate the bouquet, he says. You have a very floral smell like lavender or freesia, end quote. He barely touches her, but there's more sex in that one paragraph than on all of the snogging of Harry Potter, end quote from the article. Um, So one could glean an awful lot from this movie. And I think those weird, tenuous juxtapositions are really interesting Like, not to stray away too much from Jacob, but like, I think one of the things that makes it so fascinating is that it does ride so many fine lines about its stances on what it represents as a movie series within the established text. And that comes through a lot in terms of the uh, the Mormonism aspect of the series. Quoting from the same article, it does also make mentions that, quote, all three books paint the Mormon faith as inherently bloodthirsty, violent, secretive, and abusive to women and non-believers. The Twilight novels, especially Breaking Dawn, can be understood as a response to the challenge they pose to Mormon believers like Miss Mayer. In brief, Mayer was inspired to write works in which she addresses and resolves in archetypal story the criticisms being made of Mormonisms by atheists and by non-believing Gentiles. So there's a lot about like Mormonism in the mix here as it applies to abstinence practice, but that is sort of contradicted by the like erotic subtext of the film itself. And to a degree, the books, uh, there are these complex racial conversations that one could unpack if one really wants to dive into it. I don't think there's as much there as perhaps the article alludes to. But yeah, there's there's just so many weird juxtapositions and so much tension, not only in terms of the narrative, but in terms of the material that it handles, that I think that heightens how interesting it is.
1: That's so interesting. I never really thought about the the racial lens to Twilight, but now that I'm thinking about it, I can, there's like one vampire that's black, right? And, and he's one that drinks human blood and eventually tries to kill Bella also.
2: Although, I mean, I guess within the books, within Mayer's books, pretty much everybody was white. Uh, as, yeah. far, as, oh, as yeah. far as I'm told, um, which makes this this franchise interesting because it does become increasingly inclusive as it goes, honestly. But even within this first one, that character, I don't re- recall that character's name. He's one of those three vampires. Rock. There's James. Yeah, okay. James, uh, Victoria, and he. And uh, he in the book is is written as having uh, olive skin. And the director, uh, Catherine Hardwick, aptly pointed out in an interview why he, she sought for a more diverse cast is because... Well, there are also black olives, and like, also, you know, why not do better? Why not? Uh, why not make this more inclusive? Why should that be resisted? And I think this franchise kind of doesn't do that for the most part. Like, I think it does. It does stick the landing in, front, in terms of being more inclusive than one might imagine, at least based on what I know of the source material.
3: Wait, so are the are the whale, werewolves wi- are written as white characters in the books? No.
2: No, they are. Written, oh, as
3: they okay. I, I okay. But
2: okay. as it applies to the like vampire like, clan, I guess.
3: Because yeah, I mean along those lines, Dave, nothing is consistent throughout the series as far as like messaging is too like straightforward, but just as far as themes, like you know, you like there's some interesting touch points on imperialism and like how yes. the werewolves and vampires don't get along because the ver- werewolves are indigenous to that Area and land, and then vampires come and fuck everything up. And there's like a little bit of there's like a moment that devotes to sort of like conquesting white vampires, like ruining yeah communities. And so I was like, oh, okay, interesting. But then nothing really. There's not just, anything there. There, it's not that deep. I it's not I that, that deep. It's,
1: that. It really.
2: This uh, is I if you're going to get into the semiotics of that, though, I, I I think it it is interesting that the Cullens. You know, it, it does. It does suggest, uh, Christine, as you're suggesting, uh, in the in the subtext, if you're going to read it that way, this this wave of like imperialist occupa- occupation of one cryptid versus another's land. Uh, but the thing that makes it interesting, I think, in a way that is uh, complex and, and difficult to handle, is that the Cullens are presented as like more more progressive, let's say, than the vampire, the imperialist vampire hordes. That are besieging this land because they're not, uh, you know, they're they're not killing people. They are in accordance with the treaty, <clears throat> respecting uh, their boundaries as far as uh, the the werewolves are concerned. They only eat uh, animals rather than uh, people, so they're like changing their way of life to like better suit that world. But at the same time, that paints them as like extremely like progressively highly socially evolved. While also still describing this tribe of werewolves portrayed by Native Americans as being like deeper a very deep family unit and having their own culture, but a little bit more quick tempered and animalistic. So it does but get no real consistency. Sticky.
3: yeah, like nothing to to really hang your hat on as far as like, oh, this could be like a critique of. <laughs> like imperialism no probably not
1: i think this was stephanie meyer writing a story for her i mean bella is literally stephanie meyer so i think like she just wanted to have a fantasy land and that's what she made and then someone published it so you know what good for her good for you girl you got you got what you wanted um before they like made the movie before they were even like making waves to make the movie. Stephanie Meyer had this website and on it, she had like her fan casting who she wanted to play each character. And uh, she, I think she actually had Jackson Rathbone for Jasper or Edward, but who she really
3: wanted to play Edward was Henry Cavill. <laughs> was Henry Cavill, like a thing in 2007. Yeah.
2: Really? I don't remember
3: yeah. when the Tutors was, but he he was in wasn't he in the Count of Monte Cristo?
0: The Tutors no. was just before that, before Twilight.
3: Not the guy Pierce, Count of Monte Cristo. He was a young guy, like the like young at the end. I think. Okay, yeah, yeah around. Tell me, Henry Cavill, two thousand eight. <laughs> Take me there.
0: Uh, man of Steel was two thousand
3: nine. No fucking way. Time. We
0: Another great Michael Shannon role. <laughs> No, that's totally derailing the podcast. Sorry.
1: Uh, Wow. Well, we just started discussing Twilight at a level that I never thought we really would. So thank you, Dave. That's incredible.
0: You know, I think that's part of the power of this franchise is that you can really, like, there's just so many layers that you can dive down into. Um, Production, acting, symbolism, themes. It's pretty extraordinary.
3: So sorry to interrupt. Speaking of diving down deep, Henry Cavill was in Count of Money Cristo, the Jim Caviezel one. Holy shit. He has been in the wings for much of my life. And it wasn't until <laughs> Mission Impossible 6 that he came out of the woodwork. <laughs> wow. Sorry, folks. I, you know, sometimes you got to go on your solo journeys. And I'm glad we were here with you to witness it, to witness the
1: surprise, the joy, the confusion. It's really special. Thank you, Christine. Um, I honestly could talk about Twilight forever. And I think we've we've covered a lot. But is there anything else that you wanted to talk about when it comes to this cinematic piece? I can't call it a masterpiece, but it's something that was made.
2: Baseball. <laughs> yeah, oh god. Let's talk okay. about baseball.
3: Let's talk about baseball. Jesus Christ. When I said that this movie's plot hit all the major, like, beats of a uh, teen drama, I was arguing that for every part of the movie except for Vampire Baseball. Because this scene <laughs> comes out of fucking nowhere. You're like two-thirds into in the movie. You're like, okay, I think I feel the thrust of this narrative. No, 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 no. Let's remind the audience, first of all, that her uh, mother's new husband is a minor league baseball player, which is such a... Weird detail.
0: Oh, I always forget about that subplot. Oh,
3: that's how she's conveniently out of the picture. Stupid. And then let's have some baseball, like just good old. I guess it's like the like vampires showing. Are all American vampires? Uh-huh. So when it's
1: thundering outside, vampires can really enjoy themselves and for some reason uh, decide to play baseball when it is a thunderstorm. And it is a fucking wild time. Just absolutely like t- completely ridiculous.
2: Well, I guess the reason that they play baseball during thunderstorms specifically is that the crack, the impact of them connecting with the ball is so powerful because of their superhuman strength, that it could easily be mistaken for thunder on a clear day, which might expose them. So they wait for uh, for uh, thunderstorms to engage in the classic American pastime of baseball as vampires. Dave, you also brought up the X-Men
0: earlier, and there is a great scene in the show X-Men Evolution, which you talked a little bit about in our Apocalypse episode, where the mutants do play baseball, and you get to see all their powers, them running very fast, competing with each other. So I think there's, you know, this is a great way to showcase the powers that the vampires have.
2: I mean, I'll bet this also advanced this movie's, like, international brand a little bit because tons of animes feature an inexplicable baseball scene.
3: And the uniforms are so great. They're, like, vintage baseball uniforms with the caps and... And and when the plot veers in a different direction they're still wearing their baseball uniforms to remind us that they just played baseball and they're doing it to the backdrop
1: of supermassive black hole by muse
3: (laughs)
2: what that is one of the things that keeps this movie really moving is that you know it's so revered for its soundtrack and a lot of this movie like you could make like you could just pluck out maybe like a quarter of this movie and just have a couple of music videos because like it is shot so with the music in mind so thoroughly that it is like it's like kind of inseparable from a soundtrack and like does feel very music video yeah i don't know if maybe that's like the style of shooting or if it's like the you know the aggressive dedication to filters like the blue and the green but Something about it just screams music video, especially during that baseball scene. Uh, also, really quickly, just a note about the um, the filters and the the color correction and how blue and green this movie is. I appreciate that it is that consistent in its vision and it does make it stand out within the franchise. But it also kind of means that no particular moment cinematically stands out in this movie.
1: It's a wild choice, but you know what? That was something in the Twilight Renaissance that people were like, "I just want to live my life like this," and so they were getting like <laughs> little blue tint things to put over their uh, cell phone cameras. It's been a wild ride since people started loving Twilight
3: again. Can folks, remind me: is there a three hundred and sixty sad face needle drop scene in the first Twilight, or do those start happening? I'm referring to Bella and her seat in her chair, looking out the New window. New moon at the second cam. one. Okay, 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 okay. Go talk about weird music video moments just with like needle drop, needle drop after needle drop. Yeah, oh man, just like. And so, it's just suck, goes, suck like stuff November,
2: it. December, January, June. It's just like, Jesus Christ, Bella. Yeah. Stop in, dating cryptids and get out of this chair.
1: In the book, it's just. December. <laughs> January. <laughs> January. <laughs> um, I also, speaking of soundtracks, I do want to say that Robert Pattinson has a song in the movie. And literally, you can't understand a single word that he's saying. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs>
2: what? Jeremy Spocken. <laughs> yeah, and it's also, uh, I mean, it's interesting. I guess that was something that was recorded just like on the fly and like, wasn't intended to be used in the movie. It was just that Robert Pattinson was like playing piano or like playing guitar or something and like was on set doing this and they happened to be like, maybe we can use that in the movie. And apparently when they included it in the movie, Robert Pattinson had already signed on to all, all sorts of contractual agreements and was like mortified that it was being included.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? Serves them right, <laughs> honestly. What else? Anything else folks wanted to talk about this movie?
2: This
0: movie is upset. Obs- this franchise is obsessed with Volvo. Edward's always driving the hottest Volvo. The Volvo always comes in to save the day. It's just this little little detail I had to bring up.
2: Well, oh my god! So much so that there's one scene later on in the franchise where Edward has disappeared from Bella's life, and we see him and the Volvo both simultaneously disappear, illustrating their absence. The uh, the Volvo is a character
1: of its own. And I remember, uh, so it's a very specific Volvo. And that is also something that Stephanie Meyer had on her website to be like, this is the car. (laughs) And so when uh, we see what Edward's car is in the first one, it's like that hatchback. Everyone was like, what the fuck is this? Why would Edward be driving this car? First of all, why would he be driving? It's like a sedan that he's driving. It,
2: why would he drive? He can run
1: anywhere. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. So it it is a deep, deep character of its own.
0: When you realize how many bubbles there are, you can't unsee it. How like just
2: popular the sequel is for Edward. Also speaking of vampire rules, this movie establishes as this, it, it, as is you know, remained throughout the series that when vampires show up in sunlight, they aren't killed by it, which uh, my friend uh, and all of our friend Tom at work was quick to correct me on, that uh, it's not actual broad vampire lore that they burst into flames when they're in sunlight. That's only Nosferatu, thanks, Tom. Um, But, you know, as an understood tradition, by contrast, it subverts that and they like sparkle, like they're bedazzled, they're bejeweled almost, just glistening in the sun when they expose themselves to, uh, to pure sunlight. But there are multiple scenes where obviously like it's it's clearly like day and like I know it's dreary Pacific Northwest but like there's a scene where Edward's walking around with sunglasses and not <laughs> shining. So like I don't know about that.
3: Oh I my mean, god. I love the scene when Bella and Edward like go public with their relationship at high at school, and he pulls up with the sunglasses on, the peacoat, the Volvo, Bella under his shoulders, full smile. I was like, Oh my God.
2: Because oh. he can read
1: mine. So he's hearing everything that's going he's on. He's like, yeah, Give it to me. That's right. Give and
2: everyone it. is thinking, as is illustrated, either uh, what is it? Sex, sex, money, sex money, money, money. Cat?
3: Cat! <laughs> Not even cats, just, and cat. <laughs> and then it pans to the guy in the restaurant, he's like, mm <laughs> 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 Oh, God. Oh, I would never want Edward to read my mind. That's
0: no. Talk. So, I, I think that brings up a good point of, this is a franchise, and I think Twilight 2008 does a pretty good job of seeding some threads that uh, come through the entire series until it's concluded. So like how Bella, you know, you can't read Bella's mind. Of course, the Volvo um, seeding the relationship with Jacob. So I think that there, this, if we're thinking about cinematic universes, this movie does a really great job of laying the groundwork for some themes and some powers and some ideas that come into play in the following films.
1: It's almost like they had like a couple books that like really spelled out the arc of characters. It's almost like that.
2: It's almost like you don't need an attack on the clones because you've already thought this through. Uh, <laughs> um, no, you're absolutely right, Connor. I mean, like if this movie weren't as fascinating and all the choices and directions that it takes in its first installment with the promise of more, I wouldn't have continued, but like it it, it it's the perfect bait for the hook. And like, even though I think the rest of it does, diminishing returns to varying degrees as it continues like it it, it invites you in like it, it really sets the stage and like does make it in like its height of melodrama so engaging that like yeah, why not pop on another one and then you just fall down the rabbit hole well
3: when michael sheen is dangled in front of you as uh vampire to come you're like i i guess i gotta keep watching
2: <laughs> as to quote, to quote his famous laugh from the final film
0: ah! Oh, God. That's when
2: I lost my shit. That last one's bonkers. And we're going to, I know we're still discussing this first one, but we're probably going to talk about all these, right? We have to. We have it's to. so hard not to just talk about, only talk about the first one. There's so many times where we've
0: gotten close to talking about other ones. It's just got to happen.
1: Yeah, I feel like Twilight is an undercurrent of my life. It's like always kind of there. I feel like I have definitely mentioned it on the podcast a lot. So I'm sure it'll resurface at some point. There's actually someone on TikTok who I fucking love and um, they do Twilight videos all the time, but it's like diving deeper into characters. And (laughs) there's this one, it's just this person understanding the characters and what they would actually be like so well, where um, it's all of the Cullen kids in class and Emmett is like, talking to edward like edward but like in his mind edward edward and then he just thinks of tic-tac-toe and he's like play it. and edward's like no he's like playing <laughs> like
3: in his mind it was
1: <laughs> the best so you know twilight you got a special place in my heart i'm actually kind of grateful for this movie i never thought i'd be saying that but i certainly am
0: i think it'll continue to inspire generations of film viewers
1: i hope so what a discussion everybody i feel like we could go on forever maybe we will maybe we'll just do like a special maybe like one-off episode of the rest of the series because goddamn, so much happens and then not at all but why don't we leave the conversation there we'll leave you wanting more maybe just like twilight does itself God, what a movie! I'm just like thinking about myself back in 2008. I was 17, and I I had only been 17 for a little bit, not a while <laughs> like Edward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what? It was definitely something I needed back then. So, mom, thank you for suggesting this movie. Uh, this was a wild ride. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for next week when we (laughs) talk about another uh, cinematic classic. Oh, boy. (laughs) Just wait for that. Um, Well, again, thanks for listening. Uh, Catch us on our socials. Butter with that on Instagram. Butter with that one on Twitter. And butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. Whew uh all right everybody have a good whatever
2: this has been a movie job